Welcome to the Texas Values Report. This is Jonathan Sines, president of Texas Values. Great to be with you on another glorious week in the state of Texas. Look, I did see the University of Texas football team practicing as well as my son. That's just, I mean, I get excited when I think about football starting. Uh, that, that means some things are headed in the right direction or sort of getting back to normal. Who knows? But I know everyone's not in that same boat. A lot of challenges with schools, people's, you know, kids' athletics, uh, not to mention where the state of things are headed in the Texas, excuse me, in the state of Texas and the country as it relates to the issues of faith, family, and freedom. And that's what we do here on the Texas Values Report. You know, the work at Texas Values relates to the arenas of the courts, the legislature, and the media. And that's what we try to do with this show weekly is give you an update on some of the most important issues that relate to family and freedom in the arenas of the courts, the legislature, and the media. And while we focus on Texas, what happens outside of the state of Texas and what Texas, how Texas impacts the rest of the country certainly is newsworthy and relevant to the work that we do. And that's why I'm excited about the guest we have today on the Texas Values Report. He's no stranger to our work nor our program, and so we try to bring him back as often as we can. Ryan Anderson is going to be our guest today on the Texas Values Report. Let me just tell you a little bit about Ryan, if you haven't heard him speak on our show before. He is the William Seinman Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation, and he's the founder and editor of Public Discourse. This is the online journal of the Witherspoon Institute of Princeton, New Jersey. He's the author of many books, including one of the most recent one, When Harry Became Sally, Responding to the Transgender Moment, and many others related to religious liberty and marriage. He also finds himself in Texas from time to time because he's the John Paul II Teaching Fellow in Social Thought at the University of Dallas, and he's an adjunct professor of philosophy and political science at Christen College. Ryan, welcome back to the Texas Values Report. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you. Well, look, there's so much going on on the issues that we're working on. Your work, the work that Heritage Foundation is doing, is right in the middle of that. And one of the things that's so important about the work that you're doing is the amount of writing, the amount of coverage, and the amount of research and communication that goes on with these type of issues. And what's exciting about it is because you have this national platform, you've got a great presence on social media and traditional media, doing a lot of traditional interviews, but also putting out a lot of good content uh, on social media and through other online outlets. Uh, you're, you're probably one of the most recognized and well-respected thought-provoking writers and communicators on this issue, so on the issues we work on, on faith, family, and freedom, but particularly as it relates to some of these sexuality issues and also religious liberty in the courts. So we want to talk about those two issues today. I know one of the things that you did recently was an article that you put out related to transitioning, and I'm just going to let people know the title here. Transitioning procedures don't help mental health. Largest data set shows. And it's not just about the title. It seems to be that there was a correction or a major reverse that a lot of people are not talking about in this space. Tell us a little bit about the article and why it's so important. Oh, th- thank you. This is, this is hugely important. So in October of last year, um, so almost an entire year ago, 10 months ago, the American Journal of Psychiatry published a paper with this title, Reduction in Mental Health Treatment Utilization Among Transgender Individuals After Gender-Affirming Surgeries, a Total Population Study. And so as the title suggests, they had um, published a paper that was a total population study from, um, I believe it was Sweden, and 
what they claimed was that there was a reduction in mental health treatments for individuals who had had what they euphemistically really referred to as gender-affirming surgeries, so sex reassignment surgeries. And the argument here was that we now have this large data set, a total population study, and it's showing that individuals who have sex reassignment surgeries have a reduction in their mental health treatment afterwards. So last weekend, uh, the journal editors, without much fanfare, without much media coverage, the original study got tons of media coverage. It was all over the place because they were saying this was the evidence that sex reassignment surgery is good for people. Well, last weekend, the editors uh, issued a correction, and this is the, the, the words of the correction. The results demonstrated no advantage of surgery in relation to subsequent mood or anxiety disorder-related health care. It's so, actually worse than that because the original study also showed that there was no benefits to hormonal transition. So now we have the largest data set on sex reassignment procedures, and it's showing that neither hormonal transition nor surgical transition uh, provides the promised mental health benefits. We need to do better for uh, these people who are suffering with gender dysphoria. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, we're talking with Ryan Anderson from Heritage Foundation when it comes to issues of religious liberty, sexuality, and often sometimes the life issue. Uh, he's one of the people that you'll find writes the most about this issue is on top of things on a daily basis and really getting a little bit deeper, right? And so, you know, we talked about this in your introduction, Ryan. You're a professor. You've got your PhD, right? You're you're smart, okay? And so there's a lot of times these issues, people just don't go even below the headline, right? And so many of them may have missed this, but it takes time and, it, and it's important to go, go below the surface, to go below the headlines and find out what's going on. And so you found this information. A lot of people aren't talking about it. And a lot of people don't realize how much of the transgender moment, as you've called it in your book, relates to this science that's supposed to be backing all of this stuff up. And this is in the first paragraph of your article on this. And so I'm going to repeat it. The world's largest data set on patients who have undergone sex reassignment procedures reveals that these procedures do not bring mental health benefits. And that's what we hear a lot in state legislatures and in other places that, oh, it's the science and we're following the science. And this is why you have to do this, because this data says this. The data fell apart. I mean, not only fell apart, but now they're admitting these people that the left, so to speak, or the people that are in this moment or movement uh, subscribe to, their people are saying it doesn't work. Yeah, and they're saying it um, without a lot of fanfare, right? I mean, and what's interesting here is that the study came out originally in October, and I need to praise one of your kind of uh, fellow Texans, Mark Regneris, yeah. professor of sociology at the University of Texas at Austin, in November, so one month later, Mark rang the alarm bell about this study. He, he, was, he wrote a piece at Public Discourse, so at the, the journal, the online journal that I edit for the Witherspoon Institute. Mark wrote an essay just pointing out all of the data analysis issues with the study. That then set off, um, they, the, the journal editors uh, received half a dozen letters to the editors about uh, this study. And then finally, 10 months later, uh, the journal issues the formal correction. Uh, and so what this really highlights is the importance of a researcher like Mark Ragnaris um, in hostile territory, right? The University of Texas at Austin well, don't, don't, is not a yeah, particularly hostile Don't force me to put place. don't force me to put my hook'em sign up 
put my horns up. But it, and it also gives me a smile if you could see me on Facebook, Ryan, because Mark's one of my closest friends, particularly in allies when it comes to these issues. And he and I spent some time together several years ago when he was under attack. And so I imagine that's part of the reason why it took them so long is because the folks on the left, they're biased, whatever you want to call it. You know, he puts out really smart and reliable information, but they don't like the information that he pushes out. And it's hard to ignore it. And he had to go a few rounds with the University of Texas several years ago. I was one of the lawyers backing him up, and he's still there. Thank goodness. But, yeah, it's, it's telling, to your point, that he sounded the alarm. Here we are nine, ten months later, and they're finally talking about it. But at least they are. And that gives yep. you a platform to not even just talk about it but say, it's not me that's saying it. It's the so-called experts that are saying it. And what's so important about this, and this is why I, I so value the, the kind of like number crunching, the data analysis that Mark does, is that parents need this information. If you have a child who is experiencing a gender identity conflict, you want to know what's going to help. And right now, the medical establishment, the experts are saying, put that child on puberty blocking drugs, put that child on cross-sex hormones. And this is entirely experimental. It doesn't oh, uh, have data showing that it benefits children. And we need to have a much more cautious approach in which we don't mess with a child's development. We need to allow children to develop in their own bodies, help them to feel comfortable in their own bodies, and not radically transform their bodies uh, with experimental procedures, whether it's puberty-blocking drugs, cross-sex hormones. We have no idea what the long-term consequences are. That's a great Highly point. experimental. It is a great point. There should be a major exercise of caution and really, I say, to put a stop to some of this till we know more so what's going on. I, I still would, would have concerns if the medical community was supporting it. But now you've got the medical community, you've got this major psychiatry journal saying it doesn't work in the way that people said or suggested that it would. Let's transition, so to speak, to another article and uh this is an important issue, too. Religious liberty ties into some of these things regarding how the government connects to some of these issues and how people make decisions when it comes to sexuality issues. You have a great article out about how religious liberty and some of the recent wins, if you will, at the Supreme Court are not enough. We look at the Bostock decision, which has allowed the court to redefine or to expand what sex means to get into issues of sexual orientation and gender identity. If religious liberty is not enough as it relates to these issues, uh, what else do we need? Well, we need good public policy on the issues, not just religious liberty protections from bad public policy. I mean, that, that's the simplest way um, to put it. So one of the re religious liberty wins at the Supreme Court was for the Little Sisters of the Poor. But you know what, President, or thank God, not yet President, Vice President Biden has already <laughs> promised that if he were to become President Biden, that he would take us back to where we were before Hobby Lobby. So with respect to Obamacare, we have bad health care policy and protecting a religious liberty exemption for the Little Sisters of the Poor isn't enough, both because we still have the underlying bad health care policy and because we, as soon as we switch administrations, the Trump administration is protecting the Little Sisters of the Poor, well, the Biden administration might harass them again the way that the Obama administration did, right? And so on a whole host of issues, we can talk about school choice topics, we can talk about uh, abortion topics, we can talk about healthcare transition topics, just um, protecting religious liberty exemptions from a bad public policy isn't enough if we want to see 
public policy that serves the common good for everyone. So I want non-religious girls to be able to compete in fair athletic competitions. I don't want them losing to boys who identify as girls. And that's not a religious liberty question. It's not just, you know, Christian girls shouldn't have to lose these races. No girl should have to lose a race to a boy who identifies as a girl. Um, No child should have their body experimented on. Uh, So what this means is we need good underlying law, good underlying policy for high school athletics, uh, for medicine with respect to minors and uh, transitioning. And just relying on religious liberty argument uh, won't get us there. That's not to say we should give up on religious liberty. Religious liberty is important, but it's not the only thing that's important. And so we need to be a kind of comprehensive here. We need we need to be holistic as we think about these issues. We're talking with Ryan Anderson. He is the William E. Simon Senior Research Fellow in American Principles and Public Policy at Heritage Foundation. Ryan, I guess I could call you doctor, right? You've got this the Ph.D. It's official. Uh, but you know, and, and that's what you see sometimes the left, they try to rely on that doctor. This said this, this expert said that I put you right up there with, with at the top, if not, um, one of the best when it comes to covering these issues. And you hear from some of Ryan's comments, referencing data points, referencing research that's done. It is important because there are scientific elements related to this. And that's what a lot of people on the other side are relying on. To your point about, too, about it going broader than religious liberty issues, this is something that we see in the fair play movement uh, that's starting to spread across the country. I mean, Martina Navratilova, I should be able to say it right since I'm a former tennis player, is out there saying that it's not right what's happening to young women in athletics that are having spots taken away from them. And so, because if we ignore what's happening in in the greater society and just keep it into this religious liberty space, uh, to your point in, in the title of your article, it won't be enough. Eventually, they will get at the religious liberty issue too, one way or another. Oh, of course. And let me just add one other thing. You flatter me with, you know, saying, you know, I'm an expert this, PhD that. But you do not need to even have a college degree to grasp the truth of these issues. My mother never went to college. My grandparents, some of them didn't even graduate high school. And they would know that you don't block the puberty of a child, that you don't have boys competing against girls in high school athletics. Um, You don't need to be an expert. You don't need the world's largest data set to tell you the answers to some of these questions because they're part of the natural law, right? They're part of that law that's written on the heart that all of us can have access to. All of us can know this law written on the heart. Um, And and so to a certain extent, what, what I'm describing here is just common sense. And it's something that all of our grandparents just took for granted. Of course, you don't transition a child, right? Of course, you don't set up athletic competitions where, you know, the physical nature of boys and girls would be competing against each other where boys would have an unfair advantage. And so to a certain extent, I think, you know, the vocation that you and I have is just simply to be kind of truth tellers, right? Um, Pointing out, reminding people something that they already know, but that in our culture, it's gotten very controversial to say. Well, and they've tried to shame people from telling the truth to suggest, oh, well, science says this. And now again, we see the science, the so-called science fell apart. And these are just one of the many reasons why you need to come and be a part of our policy forum, because Ryan Anderson is going to be a speaker at our policy forum this year. That's at that September 18th and 19th. The in-person event is here in the Central Texas area in Austin. Go to TXValues.org. Get your tickets today. We also are going to have a live stream option. 
hey, we're sensitive. If for whatever reason you want to uh, watch from your home and, and navigate these issues we're dealing with the coronavirus, there's a live stream option as well. We hope the numbers go through the roof on that because we know Texas is a large state. So sometimes just trying to get to the Austin area is difficult without a virus. Okay, so go to TXValues.org. Get your tickets today, and you can be a part of a presentation and event that Ryan Anderson is going to be a part of. And we're probably going to have a little bit more time with him than we have on the show today. But, Ryan, look, you've covered some really important issues today that are of value, uh, but this is not the end of the road. And so I'm going to let people go to your Twitter handle, Ryan T A N D or Ryan T and um, at Heritage, I know, in, in Heritage.org public discourse. There's a lot of areas and a lot of kind of sites where people can find your information. And we appreciate the great work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm very happy to be doing it. I'm looking forward uh, next month uh, to your conference. Uh, I think the most important thing we can do right now is just to be informed, but then secondly, to have the courage to um, uh, speak out on these issues. Uh, like you said, the left tries to silence people, shame people, cancel people, um, and our vocation is to be truth tellers. I couldn't have said it any better. Ryan Anderson from Heritage Foundation has been our guest today on the Texas Values Report. Well, what a great job Ryan did covering just some some issues that are kind of can be kind of tricky sometimes. And sometimes you got to know what you're talking to about the data. But to Ryan's point, it's also just common sense. Okay, and so we're going to transition here in the rest of the show. I've got Jonathan Covey, our director of policy, in the studio with me. Good morning, Mr. Covey. Good morning, Mr. Sines. How's it, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. Uh, we could call ourselves Mr. Blue, Mr. Blue and Red. There you know, you anyway, um, 80s, early 90s film reference. But nonetheless, uh, you know, look, there are important issues that we're working on that we care about. And Having a voice from the national level is really important because these things have gotten not only national, but they also touch on things locally. And so when you want to go into your school district or you want to go into your local government, it's really good to know what's happening across the country. And I could imagine there's probably not one, maybe there's one, if a few more local school districts of the 1200 in Texas that have heard about or, or some of the local government leaders that have heard about what Ryan was talking about, um, that this journal Correction, if you mention, uh, if you will, was released. This was the American Journal of Psychiatry over a, almost a year ago, um, dealing with this issue. But it's important to have his voice. But we're on the ground, and I mean, in, in a lot of these issues, people are looking at as they go back to school. Right? They're going to the doctor. They're getting their annual checkups. They're getting their physicals. Okay. Uh, I just finished one for one of my oldest sons the other uh, a few weeks ago. So this is a you know, sort of a uh, dinner table, if not, you know, amongst the parents conversation of what's going on. Parents need to know. And that's why we're trying to bring them this information. Yeah, absolutely, Jonathan. To your point, a lot of schools are starting back, whether it's in person or online this week. And it's important for students also to understand what what their rights are and parents to understand what their rights are. I think this school year is going to be in some ways a lot different than other, uh, other school years in the past. And I know parents have a lot of concerns about uh, the opening of schools in the fall semester. So um, Texas Values can help you and provide resources for you on things like that. Also, uh, you, you had brought this up. Uh, maybe a couple of uh, weeks ago, but Attorney General Paxton issued a, a guidance letter recently having to do with private and religious schools. Yeah, no, look, and we have a piece. I think it's going to go up today. That's our yes, goal. Sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> to put you on the spot on that. 
Back to school rights. I think the title's likely to be COVID-19 isn't the only issue. And that's not to minimize it being an issue. We know safety is certainly important. Some kids aren't going to the classroom this week or next week. And some are, are doing virtual learning. However it is, you know, eventually we're gonna the kids are, are going to be back in the classroom one way or another. Or they're going to be interacting with their local school district. And people need to know what their rights are. And so we, we're going to put up a piece on that. And you're going to see a reference to the Attorney General Ken Paxson's letter making it clear that the government cannot force public schools, but particularly private schools that are religious, to not allow them to open or have any role in dictating how they handle these issues as far as opening. Because in terms of some type of blanket ban, and that's what some have tried to do. Um, Dallas County, Travis County, others. Now, many of them have, have come out in one way or another, or, or it's been reported or been revealed that they don't intend to enforce it, particularly after the attorney general's letter on this. But that's how aggressive they tried to be. And so a lot, I think a lot of schools have gotten the right information and realize it's their, inf- their decision to make on their own. But in addition to that, it's also not something that local health authorities can be forcing school districts to do. These school districts they have the power to decide what to do. Right. And they can follow state and CDC guidelines in regards to safety and be back in the classroom and still be following the law. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I think that we will have some uh, quotes from different different people, including uh, the commissioner for Texas Education Agency, Mike Morath, who who talked about wanting to get kids back to school and to be safe. And, and so we'll have some of that included in the article that you were talking about. Yeah, and let me just read it, too, as a preview. Here's what... Texas Education Commissioner Mike Morath says, Our objective is to get as many kids as possible on campus as long as it is safe. But we know on-campus instruction is really the best instructional setting for the vast majority of our students in Texas. Please don't feel compelled to use this transition period unless your local conditions deem it necessary. Speaking of experts and you know journals and all this stuff, Here's another uh, quote from the TEA that we dropped into our piece that you'll see later. Furthermore, the American Academy of Pediatrics notes that COVID-19 risks must be balanced with the need for children to attend school in person, given that lack of physical access to school leads to a to more of negative consequences, placing children and adolescents at, at a considerable risk of morbidity and in some cases, mortality. Wow, that's a very strong statement. And not only do we cover the COVID-19 issue in our piece, Mr. Covey, but we also talk about just what are some, should be some well-known religious liberty protections at public schools. Students have the freedom uh, to engage in student-led prayer at special events, such as CU at the Pole. Students can have groups like Good News Club that are Christian-based. They have the freedom to have Bible studies on campus before or after school. When you have your meal at lunch, you can pray. We've had cases on that before. Right. So we kind of outline some of those things so people don't forget uh, that, you know, in the midst of all the virus issue, oh, you still have these other rights right. as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, speaking of, of having rights and protecting children, uh, there's some things going on with uh, in Texas public schools having to do with the radical policies they're pushing on sex education. And we're, we also talk about that some in the piece as well and how you can protect yourself. Also uh, touching on Carol ISD and some of the recent interactions we had with that school district when they tried to pass their cultural competence plan that included all this stuff on uh, the radical sex education that we've seen. Yeah, you kind of knocked them off their stilts up there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. 
you know, they this is uh, South Lake, this is Colleyville, that area up there. It's called the Carroll ISD. South Lake Carroll is the big high school in that area. Speaking of football later, they're a football powerhouse, so a lot of people are aware of them. Their school district had teed up a vote on a, as you called it, cultural competence plan that included some LGBT advocacy, to say the least. And they put a pause on that. Now, the issue is not over, and it certainly looks like we still got our work cut out for us, but it didn't get implemented. The vote they wanted to take, they weren't able to get the votes to implement it and adopt it. So now is an opportunity for people to engage in that community. Go to our action center. Go to txvalues.org. You can see some of that information. But before we wrap up, policy form. So so that piece on schools, back to school, will be up later today. So now the pressure's on Mr. Covey to get it done. It's pretty much done. But um, So check that on our social media channels and our website. But policy form's coming up. We're almost 30 days away, and we got a couple of cool new speakers. I say cool. I mean, they're good, okay? Tell us about um, the three we talked about earlier yeah, uh, that we've got coming. Uh, so so we, we've got uh, several new speakers that have confirmed for us, and uh, one of them is uh, Representative Tom Oliverson, who's going to be coming on board and speaking with us. Also, Kevin Roberts, uh, Executive Director of TPPF, and we have Abby Johnson as well, who will be coming on and talking. So uh, a great lineup of new people that we've got to, to be able to talk about in, going forward. Yeah, I mean, if Twitter's any indication... Uh, I, you know, I've gotten the most traffic so far from announcing that Abby Johnson is going to be speaking at the policy forum. You remember, she is a former Planned Parenthood worker, left Planned Parenthood, became a pro-life advocate. Then a movie was made about her called Unplanned, a really good and successful movie. Really great movie. And and for seven or eight years, she's been leading a pro-life ministry, leading women out of the abortion industry. Just some of the many reasons why you need to get your tickets today. Early bird pricing has got two days left, I think. It's almost over. we got to cut it off. TXValues.org. Get your tickets today to one of the most important events in Texas uh, coming up in the next month. And we're just about done here for this week of the Texas Values Report. But stay tuned and check for our show next week so you can hear great updates on faith, family, and freedom in Texas.